Hello everybody, I'm Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live. Tonight I've got Dr. Linda Shaw. Let me tell you a little bit about Linda. She's a neuroscientist. She has a PhD. I have three GCSEs, so uh, I'm a bit, bit embarrassed uh, doing this interview. She's a leadership psychologist and a specialist in business relations. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us again. Dr. Linda Shaw, I'm, I'm going to drop the doctor. I think we need to be informed today. Derek, how come you've done GCSEs? Well, I thought I did. Maybe they're, maybe they're O level. Hello. Have you not been well lately? <laughs> <laughs> well, Linda, I've been reading your book. That's the problem. Your brain is the boss. It's a great book. It's got so much information in it. Uh, I fell asleep uh, at four o'clock this morning, but uh, it's terrific. And thanks for joining us today. Now, tell us what's going on in the uh, world of neuroscience and how are you coping with artificial intelligence and chat gpt two questions for you there okay um what's going on in the world of neuroscience loads it's almost impossible to keep up well it actually is impossible to keep up and i try very hard um i keep up with um the english-speaking countries a bit better in the uh, areas of research that i'm particularly interested in but of course, research is global and there are plenty of languages that I don't read. In fact, all of them except English. So therefore, um, there's tons going on about every topic you can think of. But of course, artificial intelligence is somewhat a hot topic. So there's a lot going on. But, you know, artificial intelligence and neuroscience have been um, up close and comfortable for some years. Um, so this isn't this isn't um, uh, news to us. But of course, what is interesting is in the, the speed in which it's developing now, because it it's improving itself, which is um, quite a scary concept, I think. Mm. That's what um, people are talking about, aren't they? And I see the uh, the the uh, cabinet in Romania is using an artificial model to give it uh, answers to its questions at the moment. Um, is that real or should we be believing the way artificial intelligence might take off the way we read it in the popular press and whatever you read in the in the press about artificial intelligence is old news oh really yeah wow. i know a lot of scientists who are working in ai i uh, i i used to know many years ago fernand gobert professor of um of um expertise and he was working a lot in artificial intelligence. And honestly, there are far more ahead than we realize mm. all mm. the time. So it is it is a worry. We have got to learn to work with it and live with it. But at the moment, I've got a friend who, who put my name in uh, chat GPT and I didn't recognize myself when she sent me the results. I thought, who is this person? Apparently I'd, I'd, I've published numerous things that I haven't got a clue about. So it was completely wrong. There are two other Dr. Linda Shaws in the world. And, um, and those are the three of us between us. We, if you wrap us into one person, we are really astonishing. <laughs> because of the, this stuff that apparently we've done, which is not true. Um, so, but of course, as I've just said, if it's improving itself, that's a whole different ball game, isn't it? So you're actually saying it's improving itself without anyone touching it, without Elon Musk putting his 10 billion pounds in and, and, and issues like that. The whole point of chat GPT and, and, and the likes is that um, they, they get better with practice, including emotion. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's something I wanted to talk to you about emotions, actually. So thanks for 
bringing it up where do, where do emotions fit into um what you do and to the uh, neuroscience of it all um my doctorate was about unconscious processing of emotion um i consciousness i've been reading about since i was 14 it's like the last frontier it's it's um one some people think of consciousness as the soul or the essence or whatever and it's a fascinating topic and it's a <clears throat> it's a, an infuriatingly complicated topic but sadly neuroscience hasn't got very far with that but what we have gone gone doing very well with is is unconscious processing and um, we we process emotions below conscious awareness which i think a lot of people are aware of these days and that was basis of my doctorate although yes. having since having since uh, done that research there is another professor who has cut his doing a lot of work called lisa feldman barrett and she has, has put a cancer amongst the pigeons in terms of emotional research and, um, and neuroscience in that she believes that and is shown by her research that um, we use emotion to make sense of what is going on around us. So we construct an emotion to understand something, which, of course, is not how we believe emotion to believe. We, we believe before this, although there was one contributor that she has been uh, has stood on the shoulders of and, and developed from his work, but um, we've always always thought that emotion is something that um, uh, actually controls or not controls um, actually elbows out of the way our cognitive processing. So we we sort of flare up, we we go straight away, and we we're in this, in, surrounded with these emotional feelings that we have, and we go for it, and then the cognitive brain goes, okay, whoa, whoa, slow down, you've really got to get a grip here, and we've we've thought in terms of that emotional cognition relationship before, but Lisa Feldman Barrett's work is saying otherwise. So it's very interesting at the moment in neuroscience what's going on. Um, so we'll see. It's it's good. It's very good when a scientist shakes things up a bit because it means we move forward a lot. Now, have you got your brain there? Well, here's my brain. Here's your brain. Right. You've got your brain there. I've seen you on stage with that. Which bit processes what? So where's our consciousness and where's our unconsciousness? Ah, now you can't say where is the consciousness and unconsciousness in the brain. OK, right. however, I can help you out with this. If this A4 sheet of paper was the, the brain and I asked you how much of this brain is conscious processing and how much is unconscious processing, what would you say? So let's just take that by thinking about how much of your brain is conscious how much of that A4 sheet of paper is conscious processing? Go on, tell me. Well, I remember that we can only hold uh, seven plus or minus two things in our conscious mind. So I guess, and our unconscious mind is uh, unlimited, I think. So I guess it's a tiny dot. Would that Any be advance? Anybody want to say more or less than Derek? They're all on mute, but they could put it in the chat box. Okay. What do you reckon? Anybody got more or less? Go and put more or less in. Go for it. I tell you what, let's make it easy on you. Oh, 5% from Jill. Thanks, Jill. 1% uh, Michael. Okay. Adopt Mary. Thank you. 0.5. Thanks, Mark. Okay. I tell you what, let's make it simple. 
um let's do that that strange game that uh hang on a minute, let me just close the chat let's do that strange game that used to be on television higher higher lower lower right oh, yeah, thumbs yeah, yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah, Point. Yeah. higher than derek said higher thumbs up right everyone's on gallery view now lower thumbs down in actual fact, Derek was pretty good because it is a dot, mm -hmm. tiny, tiny dot. Okay, mm -hmm. that that came about. There was a documentary on the UK television some years ago now, and they were they were interviewing a bunch of neuroscientists, and they asked this very question individually, and they all said, "Well, it's so hard to measure." However, we our 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 belief is that it is probably no bigger than a dot as conscious processing. Mm -hmm. So I think that tells a big tale, actually, um, that all of the all of that other stuff is going on in our mind is unconscious processing. That's interesting. Good question, Derek. And tell me, um, is the uh, conscious mind the negative part of it that keeps us safe? Because uh, you know, we um, people get mostly get negative thoughts, don't they, for some reason or other? And uh, us uh, speakers try and put positive thoughts into people, but uh, the press and everything else uh, is negative thoughts. Is that conscious mind or unconscious mind? Well, both would happen with conscious and conscious mind. Well, you must remember that um, if there's something negative going on, it is going to help us get out of trouble. So that will be unconscious processing. That will be um, way below conscious awareness because that is our fight or flight response. <clears throat> so and um, we need that. Um, and we, we would be very stupid of us to try to control that because that's that's not that wouldn't keep us out of trouble and that wouldn't save us. So in actual fact, they, we we will we will anchor on to negative thoughts and negative mindsets, both consciously and unconsciously. Okay. No, nice. thank you. That's right. And the final question on emotions, you talk in your book about the role of emotions in business. I know we buy we tend to buy things on emotions, don't we? And look at it logically and then buy on emotions. How do you use your neuroscientific research when you're helping clients um, using emotions in business? Um Emotion in business, when I'm talking about that to corporate people, it will be in terms of decision making um, and also emotional labor. Emotional labor is something that not many people talk about in the business world. It's basically when um, we are in, we're, we're, when we're recruiting people, we need to have them line up with the philosophy of our company or organization. So, for instance, if you are running a, a funeral director's, you are going to have to employ people with compassion, but also incredibly practical. Because if you have lost somebody dear to you, you go to a, a funeral director, you don't even want to think about the arrangements. You want them just to do it all and be able to trust them with and they have compassion for you. So if you then, um, if you don't employ people with that kind of emotional makeup, then you have got oil and water going on. I give you another example. Many years ago, I owned a health club. I had 20 staff. And one of the, most of them were, um, all of them actually were customer facing. And um, I had one receptionist who looked as if she'd been slapped in the face with a wet fish. Really, really sour and miserable. That's no good. In those days, you know, when somebody walked in over the threshold of a health club, 
and that was a big thing for them because they they were trying to to improve their physical health and in turn their mental health as well of course so that was a big deal and they wanted to be greeted with warmth and a welcoming smile so she was losing me business because of that mm -hmm. and that wasn't healthy so that's the sort of thing I talk to um, um, to businesses about is emotional labor um, and using emotion in decision making and of course emotional intelligence when it comes to communication mm -hmm. um, so I it wasn't necessarily her attitude then it was more of um, more of the way she was yeah, yeah. I, I, it was a bad hire I made a big mistake Mm -hmm. actually, you know, I was so young and naive. Um, I, I did, I was doing appraisals for everybody and I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing, but I did it because I had to do it. I was told I had to do it. So I did it. And when it came to her appraisal, um, it was clear things weren't working out and I just didn't have the heart to um, to reprimand her in any way. So I sat with her in reception and did her job for her and paid her. Mm -hmm. oh, ah. is that? <laughs> Clearly, I've grown up a bit since then. Yeah, that reminds me of the story that you hear sometimes where people employ a cleaner for their house, but then uh, the person cleans the house before the cleaner arrives because they don't want the cleaner to think they've got a dirty house. Wow, wow, wow. Now, apart from your uh, speaking business, which I know is thriving, and uh, also your consultancy, um, you're writing a program on learned helplessness at the moment. So, um, tell us about that. Yeah, um... Uh, learned helplessness is a, is a phenomenon or a idea, a concept that uh, Martin Seligman, Professor Martin Seligman, um, worked on in the 1960s, and he was working with dogs, and it, it, he discovered that if a dog just couldn't escape or or just could not do what it, it tried to do or was constantly being told off and it didn't understand why it was being told off and could do anything right it stopped trying to escape and it became passive it was learned helplessness and I've seen this in children I've seen the way some parents work with the children I've seen it with um, uh, adults in in terms of their intimate relationships with another adult I've seen it with people in the workplace and I've seen it with the elderly. So what I'm doing is I have, um, I've, I've started a series. It's just a five part series. This last week I did it, learned helplessness in childhood. This week is going to be in the workplace. Oh no, sorry, in adult relationships. Um, then next week will be in the workplace. And then the week after that will be about um, uh, the elderly. And then in the fifth week, it's going to be what we can do about it. Um, and I'm what has surprised me, I was testing it out on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm absolutely surprised how many people are really interested and how prevalent it is. This learned helplessness by the way we treat one another is 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 just terrible because people just if you feel that you can't do anything right, you give up trying. And it can actually lead to anxiety and clinical depression. Mm. It's very serious. And when you consider how clinical depression is rife at the moment and not getting better, in actual fact, getting worse, then we need to address it before things are so bad. We need to look at things that can actually um, help us not slip down into that dark place. So that's what it's about. And it will only be an ebook at the end of it. And I will um, put it on my website. It's not going to be anything, anything heavy. I just wanted it to be able to raise awareness about learned helplessness and what a big issue it can be. Hmm. You raise a 
very interesting question at the moment about depression and everything that comes under the word depression or stress or or whatever. Um, I'm not sure. 50 years ago, would we talk about any of these subjects or would we just say she's lost the plot or he, he needs to get a grip? No, what we would say is how my great grandmother would say it and she would call it um, a worry. Yeah. Yeah, she would call it worry. She used to say worry, uh, hard work didn't kill anyone, but worry does. Um, and I think that is still today, but we've swapped the word for stress. Because we understand the stresses, we understand cortisol, the stress hormone, we understand adrenaline, we understand the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems, we understand an awful lot more. And it's that knowledge is now becoming more widespread amongst the, the, the population. Mm. So I don't understand the parasympathetic nervous system. That was going to be my next question to you. So th thanks for prompting me uh, on this. So uh, it's the sympathetic uh, nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Is it they're the two systems? Yes, they're the two symptoms that we, we, we talk about, or well, systems rather, we talk about when it comes to the stresses. So basically what happens is the parasympathetic nervous system is commonly known as the rest and digest system which means that the digestion's working properly, we are calmer and we are calm and alert, which is the ideal place to be throughout the day. Of course, it doesn't. we don't stay the same all the time, but if we can maintain uh, for a majority of our day to be in the parasympathetic nervous system, then we are as healthy as we can be in terms of the stresses. The sympathetic nervous system is our fight or flight system. And that's when we are, um, the adrenaline's pumping and we are, uh, and cortisol, of course, is going to be going on as well. And we have got a, uh, our gut will shut down. So we could be constipated or could get diarrhea. We become sweaty. Our heart was pounding. Um, all of those things that we, we um, uh, associate with anxiety. So, um, so being stuck in the sympathetic nervous system is, is great in short, small doses. It keeps us out of trouble. However, if we get stuck in it for too long, that can lead to more physical health issues that we didn't bargain for, even some cancers. So um, it's a very good idea to understand how to switch into the parasympathetic nervous system and make sure that we work with that more than the other. Now, is that the same as um, I described to you earlier about taking four deep breaths um, and getting yourself into uh, what I know as alpha state? I don't know if that's the technical term now, uh, where you go into a meditative state, a bit like hypnosis uh, and, and chill out. Yeah, alpha state is um, is a, a light meditation. It's a sort of a daydreamy state. It's the sort of thing you get when you are staring out of the window watching the rainfall. It's the time when you are in the shower and you get that idea in your head or an answer to a problem. It's a time when you are, you wake up in the morning, but you're not quite awake and you're not quite asleep. And you sort of, the duvet there and you're all snuggly and you get the, all of a sudden you get these ideas about your day or an idea that you've got to, to solve a problem that you may have. So that is the alpha state. And it's a brilliant state to be in because we are extremely creative. So we can make our, make our, our brain waves um, drop down into alpha state um, deliberately, by deliberately staring out of the window. In fact, when I was at school, the teachers were always saying, for goodness sake, stop staring out of the window. So wrong, so wrong. It's the, most, it's the best place to do is to stare out of the window. Their brain, a child's brain is working beautifully. 
So um, Alpha State is great. Um, we normally, on a daily basis, are working in beta, which is slightly faster. Um, but we, it's not a good idea to stay in that. We need some respite and slip into alpha um, sometime at some, some points in the day. You can do that on the breath. You can do it on four breaths. You can do it on five breaths. You're counting them slowly. Uh, count to a number. One, two, three, four, five. Hold for one. Breathe out. One, two, three, four, five. It, it's up to you. It depends on the individual. There is no formula that works for everybody. And I think that's a very important point to make. There, there is no one size that fits all. We have to find what suits us. Wow. And what about that state when uh, that sports people get into? And I must admit, when I'm speaking, I get into it now, where time has no, no meaning. You know, you're in the zone, you're on the pitch, you're playing, 90 minutes goes by, or you're on the golf course, or what? Um, in the zone, I think it's called. What's what's that in psychology? Yeah, some people call it flow. Flow. Um, it, it's basically you're attending to something so much. Your focus is completely there. And it tends to be when we are enjoying what we're doing or we're incredibly motivated to do what we are doing. So this intrinsic motivation comes from uh, or, or can stimulate this feeling of being in flow. Extrinsic motivation tends not to. So, for instance, if you are a salesperson, you're mm -hmm. used to extrinsic motivators such as bonuses and, um, and cars and all that sort of thing. Now, if I, I know a lot of I've worked with a lot of sales forces and um, they will cheat. They will um, sandbag. They they will you know they'll make their numbers this month. They've got they won't allow they won't allow themselves to go over their numbers. So they will hold some back for next month. Great, understand it. Uh, financially works brilliantly. But it but extrinsic motivators enable cheating. People were a Fitbit, and they just decide they're going to swing their arm while sitting on the sofa watching TV, and the Fitbit is is is, is clocking up the steps or something, right? So we cheat. We, we do and because because you know we we can be um especially me i can be very belligerent if a computer tells me what to do <laughs> i go i'll show you i'm not going to do it so um so therefore it doesn't necessarily extrinsic motivators don't necessarily work all of the time they do some of the time intrinsic motivation is something that we want to do because we are improving something that we're really interested in or, we, you know, those sort of intrinsic motivators that are very individual. Again, individuality comes into this. And that is when we get a sense of flow, when we get we're so fully um, um, focusing on what we are doing. And we don't stop because we don't want to stop, which is much better if you are motivating a workforce or other people in your family. Um, and equally, what you've said about sports psychology, Derek, is, is really important because I think sports psychology is um, as close as we can get to being able to motivate people in the workforce. Hmm. Well, I think 14 Premier League um, managers have been sacked this year because they failed to motivate out of 20. Um, we used to call it squirrelling in my team in uh, in uh, Barclays when we used to make, when we hit our targets on the ninth of the month and kept the rest for the, but you know, if that's the game people want to play with you with targets, that's the game that people are going to play play back isn't it people are motivated by the um, targets that they are set so that's the way it is a couple of things linda before we finish um in your book uh, number one circadian rhythms and number two 
don't take decisions when you're hungry. Both those paragraphs took me and I'd like to hear your explanation, please, for everybody. Okay, let's take hunger and decision making. Um, when I was a little girl, my dad would come home from work and I, as a child, I want to talk, talk to my dad and ask him for something or ask him something. And my mother would also always say, wait till your father's eaten. She was a very clever woman, my mum. Wait till your father's eaten before you ask him. But as a child, yeah, forget it. Of course, I didn't wait till he'd eaten. I wanted to ask him now. So, and I didn't get what I wanted, but I learned. So basically what happens is there's something, it's a hormone called ghrelin. And the stomach secretes ghrelin when it's hungry. And what, what, that, what that does is it makes us impulsive. So if we are impulsive, we are not going to make good decisions. So it's a very good idea not to be hungry when we make decisions. I strongly suggest you don't hit the sugar or the refined carbohydrates because that will that, that will that we will spike too quickly. But if you get some decent light protein or something in your tummy and before you go in to make a decision, that that's a really good idea. So ghrelin is is the hormone that we are that can work against us when we're making decisions. So, so does that fill us up with cortisol? Or um, is, uh, am I totally off track there? Yeah, you're off, tra off track a bit. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Don't, don't get your chemicals mixed up. You'll be on a hiding to nowhere. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was going to ask you where beer fits into this because I have a, I, I rather like beer. Does that work on uh, on these things? I'm not going to make any comment about liking alcohol, okay? Okay. okay. Even though I do drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And circadian rhythms, are they the uh, when you have a high every 90 minutes and you have a low every 90 minutes? Or again, no, is that... No, no, that's the sleep cycle. Okay. Your circadian rhythms are um, basically dictated by the spin of the earth. And they, so it's light and dark. When we're dark, we um, we secrete melatonin. And therefore that makes us drowsy. And that's when we sleep, when it's dark. If you're talking about the 90 minute cycles, that is the normal sleep cycle of an adult. And it's, it's suggested that we should sleep for seven to nine hours a night, which is a lot for a lot of people I know. But in a, in a 90 minute sleep cycle, we have four, four, basically four stages. Some people say five, four stages of sleep. So you're in light sleep. Then you go into non-REM sleep, which is you're not flickering the eyelids. And then you go into deep sleep and then you're into REM sleep, which is your dream state. So the four stages. And it's really I cannot emphasize enough how sleep is the most important thing you can do for your mental, physical and emotional health more than anything else you do, sleep is the most important. For many reasons, two of the most important are that we consolidate memories and learnings when we are in our dream sleep. And also when we're in deep sleep, we're flushing out the, the, um, the toxins that are built up during the day with cerebral spinal fluid. And those toxins, are some of them are the same as Alzheimer's disease. So it's really important we get ourselves into that deep sleep to flush away the rubbish of the day so that we are as healthy as we can be. Mm. Wow. Well, Linda, uh, we're coming to the end of the interview now. Can I just uh, thank you for uh, joining us? Can I thank you for all the information that you've given us? And you're clearly, you've clearly got a growth mindset uh, with all your uh, continuing learning uh will you stay on and join us once i've, I've finished the uh, interview and ask any questions from the uh, live audience and well, can i ask members of uh, 
Monday Night Live to give Linda the usual round of applause in the uh, in the normal way. Linda, Hi. thanks very much. Um, you know what my next question will be. Will you join us in another six months and update us with the latest information from the world of neuroscience and artificial intelligence? I would love to. If I can keep up with it, I'll do it. Give it my best shot. <laughs> I think you're the best person. But from what you've said, you're the best person to uh, keep up with it. Dr. Linda Shaw, thank you for joining us.